I just need to go ahead and give everybody a heads up. Um, this is the first time since we have been back together in rooms that I get to preach live. And they made the mistake here in Anderson of putting a B stage where I can be closer to you. So there's no telling what might happen. I'm telling you that I am on fire for what God has placed in my heart to get to share with you today, my New Spring family. So buckle up. Uh, and let's get to it. Uh, if you are new with us or you need a refresher, like you saw, we are in our Advent season where we are preparing our hearts and our minds to worship Jesus rightly at Christmas, that we can stir some anticipation and expectation uh, for what this means for us actually as a Christian. And last week, Brad got to kick us off by talking about uh, the candle of hope or the prophet's candle and all these prophecies that, that went before. And today I get the privilege of talking to us about the Bethlehem candle or the candle of faith modeled by Mary and Joseph in their journey to Bethlehem. And just remember, I warned you, so if you're taking notes today and you already wanna see what kind of gear I'm in for the title of this message, you can go ahead and write down the title of today's message is Dirty Faith, okay? Dirty Faith. Uh, and if you're gonna talk about you know, dirty faith, it's probably right to talk about sports, which is why I'm wearing a jersey today. Um, any athletes in the house? Grew up an athlete, used to be an athlete, now your shoulder just hurts and you have knee problems like me. Um, but I grew up an athlete. I played softball at Anderson University. Go Trojans. Um, I hear some yes in the house. I don't know what this is, but that's awesome. That must be new. I graduated a while ago. But I, I grew up playing softball. And let me tell you, one of my favorite days was the day we got our jersey. It was like, boy especially the white jersey, like it was pristine, it was clean. I got my number, I was number seven, by the way. Hey, Faith, see what I did there? Um, I was number seven. And I remember just the day that you got the jersey was like you were joining in war. I mean, it was beautiful, like walking out uh, with your squad to the field, just knowing you were about to go to battle with your sisters or brothers. But the only thing better than the first day I got my jersey was the first day that you're running a second. I never stole a second because I wasn't fast enough. So let's just say there was a base hit. I hit the ball far enough where I didn't have to steal. You know what I'm saying? So anyways, I would go to second and you'd hit that first slide in the second base and you'd get up and your jersey's just covered in dirt and you look at the second baseman on a shortstop like, what's up? What's up? Like it just felt, it felt amazing. And then afterwards, after the game, you know, we'd always go eat dinner and eat copious amounts of, usually here in Anderson, pizza, pizza buffet and get that beautiful chocolate chip pizza. But let me tell you, one of the worst feelings in the world was to walk into the restaurant with a clean jersey. Because a clean jersey usually meant that you didn't play. And there was something about, now if you had a dirty jersey, it was like a, a mark of honor. It was proof that you had stories to tell if you had a clean jersey. It meant that there was at least part of the victory or of the defeat that, that you missed out on. And church, I'm here to encourage you this morning because my fear is that a lot of us are walking around with a faith jersey that is a little too pristine. We've gotten the jersey, we received Jesus and his salvation, we've joined the team, we love being a part of the squad, but when the time comes to tell stories, we look down and our jersey is completely unmarked. 
But as a church who has said that we wanna be marked by the presence of God, then one of the main ways to the world that we show we are marked by God's presence is that our faith has marked us to pieces. We're gonna be a church marked by the presence and it's going to be through our faith, our dirty faith. I want this church to die with dirty faith. And maybe the reason many of us, you know, are missing out on this is just because we have um, an improper definition of faith. But thankfully, Scripture answers this for us. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this about what faith is. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence and assurance about what we do not see. Now I realize that 2020 has probably caused a lot of people to not be able to see. So if you've been counting on your sight the past 20, 30, 60 years, then let this year prove to you that there's something better than sight for us to live by. And is this thing called faith. It is the only thing that our confidence and assurance can rely on and specifically confidence and assurance in a man named Jesus Christ. Faith is confidence in a person, okay? Christian faith is confidence in his finished work on the cross for my past, the presence of the Holy Spirit for my present, and the propelled reality that he is coming back in my future. It is what grounds my past so shame doesn't reign anymore. It is what empowers my present and it is what propels my future. So when you join faith with Jesus Christ, when you put on that jersey, then that is us saying, I am joining with the same kind of faith that Jesus lived in that I may live now in the present. The same kind of faith that marked Jesus Christ himself to pieces. The kind of faith modeled by his mom and his dad here on earth. So here's what we're gonna do today. I'm gonna read this familiar Christmas story. We're gonna go through it. I'm gonna say some points. We're gonna end in a really unique way. But then the fruit of this message, the proof that we did anything today is that we go out and actually live this message. I'm counting on all of us. And I'm here to tell you, I'm gonna read this story. We're gonna get into it. But today's message I'm believing is going to be very powerful, but I'm gonna go ahead and tell you it's not gonna be very pretty. My whole prayer this whole time is that my speech would not be in plausible wisdom or in convincing words, but it would be a demonstration of power. This may not be the smoothest message you ever heard, but I'm telling you, I've been begging God on my face for him to impart faith to us today. If you're ready for some faith, can I hear some amens in the house? Okay. So we're gonna be in Luke 2 in this Christmas story. Let me read this for us. I feel like... You know, we should be gathered around a fire normally when I read this on Christmas Eve, but I'll read it now. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quick Trip was governor of Syria. I'm gonna be honest, I'm just nervous to try to read that in front of you. Quirinius, oh, I did it. Oh no, don't do it twice, that guy. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, we've all probably heard this story, but I wanna pause before we get into the points to tell us a few things. Luke, who wrote this gospel, is known by many commentators as a historian of first rank. 
meaning he is a historian who can be trusted. Of all the historians that wrote around this time, he is a very trusted historian. Why do I keep telling you historian, historian, historian? Because we've done a great job of taking this Christmas story and sanitizing it to a fairy tale. Okay, this is no fairy tale, this is history. Mary and Joseph were a real man and a real woman with real doubts and fears, real insecurities. How about this one? A real family with real opinions. As we're all about to be around our families a lot. So I want to take us into the story and realize that these are not superheroes. They didn't know that one day that their story would be written down in this thing called the Gospels that we would read once a year, put them up on a nativity and polish it. They were just two people trying to rely on the word of God. Which leads me to my first point, And that is that dirty faith trusts what God says. Dirty faith trusts what God says says. Now I'm going to get to like the actual dirtiness of the actual journey from uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem. But before we get there, you know that the journey to Bethlehem started before the journey to Bethlehem. You know that the moment you have to operate in faith, it's too late to then have to operate in faith. Faith has to first opt in to being active by saying, God, I trust you and your word over anybody else's voice. This is what, before this, in Luke 1, Joseph shows that I'm gonna accept Jesus as my son and Mary prays this beautiful and powerful prayer in Luke 138a. Y'all look at this with me. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Whoo, that's a dangerous prayer, y'all. But do you know that that's supposed to be just the normal prayer life of a Christian? Let it be in me according to your word, God. Listen, I know this year there's been a lot of things contending for our trust. Be it politics, be it the news, be it the media, be it civil movements, being your bank account, whatever. And I'm calling us back today to realign ourselves to trust God and his word alone by daring you to pray that prayer. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And listen, while I'm here, I do wanna make sure I pause and speak to some people very specifically that I realize for many of us, you have legitimate reasons why you're not trusting God right now. And I I feel like if I could reach through the screen and, and grab your face or all throughout the Anderson Auditorium or in your room, wherever you are, and grab your face, I would encourage you that that pain is legitimate, that hurt is legitimate. Maybe the reason you put your faith jersey up on the shelf is legitimate because you got injured. But let me tell you, I used to be sidelined for injuries And that's the reason that I had a clean jersey for a while, but the only thing worse than being sidelined for an injury is to allow that pain and injury to mark you for the rest of your life. Listen, pain can mark us, but it was never meant to define us. Think about Jesus himself. He still bears the marks of the pain that our sin inflicted on him. He still has the holes. He still has the hole in his side. He still has the marks from the whippings on his back. But pain no longer defines my savior. Resurrection does. Let your pain be the story 
of the testimony that God was still faithful to you and trust God again. I realize I'm just encouraging you to hope again, believe again, have faith again, pray again. You may not feel like that you can take a massive step of faith right now, but my brother and sister, you can pray. And I'm asking you today, inviting you, pray again, behold. I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word again. Pray again. Because once we can pray that, once we can mean that, it leads to the second point today, which is this. Dirty faith acts on what God says. Dirty faith acts on what God says. Um, Pastor Tony Evans, who I admire so much, he says that faith is simply acting like God is telling the truth. That's what faith is. And so, yes, we need to trust, but trust also leads to action. And Mary and Joseph's story is marked with action. Think about this first and foremost is that Joseph has to take Mary as his wife, immediately marking their reputation. Think about it. You're not supposed to marry Back then, especially, he was like, you're not supposed to marry a pregnant woman. I can hear his friends now. Joseph, <laughs> she's pregnant, but she said she's a virgin. You're an idiot. Like, that's what, that's what his friends are saying to him. There's even commentators who say that Joseph and Mary may have actually led early when the decree went out just so that they could escape the gossip and possible emotional stress. So glad that doesn't happen today. But let me tell you something that I feel like a fire in my bones is that faith would rather garnish the ridicule of man than sacrifice the things of heaven. People's words can hurt, I get it. People are mean. As the youth say, they're savage. <laughs> Look it up later. Ask a few students. But let me tell you something, all their words will pass away. His are the only words that will never pass away. Act on what he says. Let them talk. One day the thing that they ridicule you for is the thing that they will wish they had. Sacrifice everything for the sake of following Jesus. So he takes Mary as his wife and then it says this, so pretty like in verses four and five, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Okay, this sounds all pretty, I don't have a ton of time to spend here, but let me just say this. From Nazareth to Bethlehem is 80 miles. Okay, they can't jump on their newly renovated two-seater camel to get to this place, okay? That doesn't have heated seats. There's no protection. It doesn't have GPS. And Mary is heavily pregnant in the desert for 80 miles in the heat with her husband, who I'm sure she was blaming for a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're that pregnant, men, you know, when your wife's that pregnant, the last thing you want to do is go walk through a desert. But here's what's so awesome about this that I can't linger here. Why did they have to do this? Why cost money and time and tension and everything else? Because the prophecy that Brad talked about last week, it had to be fulfilled. And it was their faith that fulfilled it. Do you understand this? That our faith is actually the means by which God wants to fulfill his promises? 
Somebody is relying on you to operate in faith so that a promise for them can be fulfilled. Every day is like the father saying, I'd love to take you to work day. He wants to do it with us. So that's verses four and five. But we gotta go, because I can't talk for an hour. And then in verse six, (laughs) this is gonna be awesome. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Doesn't that sound lovely? The time came for her to give birth. How many women across the state would be so mad if someone used those words to summarize your whole human growing experience? And then the time came for her to give birth and there were butterflies and fairies and it was fine. No, yeah, I literally had a friend this past week who gave birth to a very large son and the whole time before that, she was texting us the morning before she gave birth and she was like, if someone doesn't get this child out of me, I'm gonna start burning stuff to the ground. You know, like by the time it's time to give birth, you are over it. Everything's puffy, like you're just ready. But how many of you also know moms? that if you give birth too soon, that there are complications, it's dangerous to your health and to your child's. So you would hold on however long, it ter- however long it took to give birth rightly. Many of us, when it comes to our faith, modeled here by Mary, is the most faith-filled thing you can do right now is to wait. Continue to wait. Wait on God's timing. Wait on his provision. Wait on his promises. Listen, I can testify to the fact that the waiting can get hard sometimes, but I would always rather wait on God's way and God's time than to try to rush something and it lead to disaster for me and for other people. The moment we try to rush God, his timing and his ways is the moment our faith is no longer faith, it's entitlement. And entitlement can ruin a move of God really fast. I know the wait is hard. I know you're about to give up. I know those divorce papers are on the table. Mm. But don't you give up. Wait. Go to counseling again. Meet with a pastor again. God's coming through. Wait. So the time came for her to give birth. And then in verse seven, it says, and she gave birth. I'm not gonna go into this because some of you want to flee for the doors. But how many women who have given birth can say, giving birth is beautiful, it is not pretty. And that's all I'm gonna say about that. And she gave birth and all that it entails. Joseph passed out, probably. (laughs) to her firstborn son wrapped him in swaddling clothes okay I want to pause there she wrapped him she wrapped him in swaddling clothes she wrapped him she wrapped him in swaddling clothes why does that matter what's have to do with 30 faith well one the fact that she wrapped him is proof of a lonely birth Why? Well, because women back then, much like now, they don't give birth alone. There was either a nurse or a midwife present who would help with the birth, and then they would take the child, clean them, and wrap them so you can have a minute to breathe after you give birth. But commentators say that the fact that she wrapped him herself was proof of a lonely birth. I know that faith can lead to lonely places. Been there, had lonely nights. But I have a friend who says this. Woohoo, this is good. This is not mine. 
But she says, I would rather be a tourist in the land of faith than a tour guide in the land of comfort. That'll preach. I know faith can lead to lonely places, but the thing about faith is faith was always meant to discover to go places nobody has ever gone, to do things that no one has ever done. And maybe Mary had a lonely moment. Nobody was there. The family wasn't gathered around. There were no Instagram posts, nobody to cheer her on. But then that means that she's the only one who got to hold heaven in her hands. Faith may lead to lonely places, but the lonely places are often where miracles are born. So she wrapped him and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Swaddling cloths, okay, so back then, a status of a kid was usually proven by what they were wrapped in, okay? So usually it was like white linen with a gold sash or, you know, expensive uh, purple clothing with a brooch. Well, Jesus had no such clothing. Also in the Greek, it it, uh, translates better to say that these were like torn pieces of um, material, that these were just fragments wrapped around Jesus. Basically, Mary and Joseph were using whatever they had to wrap Jesus in. What am I getting at here? I'm getting at telling you that I think many of us think that our faith needs to be fancy in order to work. And it doesn't need to be fancy. Mary and Joseph is proof, use what you have, just give it to God. Do you feel like your faith is tattered and torn and bruised and dirty and you don't have a lot to give? It doesn't matter. Bring it to Jesus and watch how he is proud to adorn himself with your fragments of faith than somebody else's fake faith. Do you know what I'm saying? I get if it's tattered. Mine has been tattered. I get if it's bruised, if it's dirty. You don't feel like you have a lot. But even later in his life, Jesus would preach a message that said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed but will give it to me, watch how I will take over the world with it whatever you have, it's enough if you bring it to Jesus. And the last thing is this. She laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. What's a manger? Well, it's a feeding trough. I don't spend much time on a farm, uh, but I can, you know, I've been around animals. I know what they smell like. You know, people believe that this happened in a a cave or a stable. So imagine it's dirty. I know like usually the pictures are of Mary and Joseph in this lovely glowy cave by candlelight and they're alone and Mary gives birth and no one cries and it's beautiful. That's not how it went down. Think about it this way too, that probably if there was no room for Mary and Joseph in the end, then there was probably not room for other people. So imagine other people are in the cave as well in this very exposed intimate moment. So imagine the smells, imagine the commotion, imagine men bustling around, imagine children playing, imagine women gossiping right outside of the cave door, imagine all of this, and then imagine the cry of heaven's hero piercing through it all. In this crazy, just reality of normal, everyday, chaotic life, that's where the kingdom of heaven chose to be born, why? Because Luke 2 is heaven's overture to the kind of life that he wanted us to live. It was showing us what faith was meant to look like, born in the reality of what life looks like from this moment into forevermore. Which leads me to my last point today. That dirty faith remains faithful to what God says. Dirty faith remains faithful to what God says. Um, 
Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Maybe I'm the only preacher who does this, but I preach my message to my car, my cushions in my living room, um, my upstairs upper room, I have one, uh, passing by dog, if it'll listen. Um, They won't. I've cried over this ending every time I've tried because I don't know how to say this pretty enough or convincing enough or weave a perfect illustration together enough for us to take this message like it is our very spiritual DNA inheritance and then go out and live it. I don't know how, I'm just, I'm begging that this would be an image for us to take and to live into whatever circumstance we're going back into. Because Christian, you and I, especially right now, when it comes to dirty faith remaining faithful, that there is a war over your faithfulness right now. To remain faithful to the gospel, to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ, this whole Christmas story with some kind of unction and not afraid to get dirty and stop being polite and pretty about it and just try to submit ourselves and live this life of faith. And let me tell you something, I get it. It's so much easier to start something than it is to finish something. But let me tell you what's crazy to me that I, I, don't, I don't hear many people talk about when it comes to Mary and Joseph's story that this is a great moment of faith that they had, but then they had to raise Jesus. Sleepless nights, dirty diapers, which is weird to think about, but it happened. Puberty years, teenage years, scab knees, so ultimately Mary had to watch her one and only son. Think about it from the viewpoint of a mother. She had to watch her, her, her firstborn son crucified on a cross for our sin right in front of her. And I wonder if she remembered this night. And I wonder if she thought, it's still worth it. It's still worth it. Because think about this. Go read Hebrews 10, 39, right before the definition of Hebrews 11, one of what faith is. It says that we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve our souls. Then go read all of Hebrews 11, all the saints of old who did not know that their story would be written down like they were heroes. No, they just were submitted saints who wanted to walk in faith. But over and over and over again, it says, by faith Noah, by faith Rahab, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith all these people who we would call heroes, they were just like us, begging God to use them. And I think it probably looks something like this. You know, Mary and Joseph had to remain faithful. So they trusted God and their faith got dirty. Then they acted on that trust and their faith got dirty. Then they had to remain faithful and their faith got dirty. But I wonder what this would look like for some saints today in New Spring Church. I'll go ahead and tell you what it is for me right now. My overflow offering, I had to pray again because it's making me nervous. Let our giving show that we're willing to mark our faith. Maybe it looks like some people who understand that there's a generation walking away from God because they don't have a spiritual mother and father who will step in and be a fuse group leader or serving kids spring or lead a rally house. And I'm gonna pause here and have a moment with my girl, Deasia. She's in my fuse group. I know you can't see her, but I want, 
I want to have this moment, Deasia. I want you to see this. And whatever else you come at in this life, I hope this is the picture that you take with you. This is what the fulfilled life looks like, okay? This is what the joy-filled life looks like. This is what the powerful life looks like. I've spent, my, I've spent nights on my face praying for you to understand this. You're marked by God for a life like this. Church, I'm gonna go here. Maybe the reason, I just got dirt on my face because that's what faith does. Maybe the reason the election was so tense this year is because we're trying to rely on the government to to fix problems that were always meant to belong to the church. Listen. Racism is an evil from the pit of hell. And I love, we've had people stepping in. I love that we post about it. I love that we pray about it. I love that we petition about it. But what I'm here to tell you is I love, sir, ma'am, that you would read white fragility, but we need some white availability in the house of God to reach across a table to a brother or sister and to have a conversation. It is our job to take racism arm in arm with brother and sister and to chase it out of our communities. And it's gonna cause us to get dirty. Listen. I am, I believe, listen, this is no shame and I speak against the enemy right now if he tries to heap shame on any woman. This is not directed at you. There is no shame. There is only forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But I believe abortion is not God's harder plan. But listen, what's a mom supposed to do when the only voice she hears telling her the only thing you can do is have an abortion? What if she heard differently from a church like New Spring. She said, I don't know what to do. I don't know, I don't know how to go through this, but I've heard of a church called New Spring Church who will help me and who will take this child. I believe that this is a time for New Spring to be marked with a reputation of adoption, who will take in whoever, whenever into the house so that abortion doesn't have to be something we vote for anymore, but we've solved the problem in here. I'm so thankful that I follow a savior who didn't point, he didn't pray, he didn't just pose, he didn't send an angel from afar to do it. He got in the dirt and the muck and my sin and he got involved and it changed everything. Y'all, that's now our job. And I'm calling us this morning to live with dirty faith, to die with some dirty faith. The last thing I'll say is this. We're gonna read a scripture. I'm gonna pray. I have a friend of mine. Her name's Stacey. She says that if the only thing filling the weight of your Christianity is a chair on a Sunday morning, then you are missing out on the glory of the gospel. The world should be feeling the weight of our Christianity, of our faith. I hope that the clapping of hands and the amen of a message is not the loudest legacy I leave. Because Philippians 3.8 says it this way. Indeed, church, I will testify to this reality. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can I encourage you this morning that he's worth it? 
He's so worth it. Whatever step it is, whatever pain point, whatever sacrifice, he is worth it. Because one day we will all sit around a table again. And the wedding feast of the lamb with Jesus there present, we will take this off. We will give it like an offering. And then only cleanliness and purity will cover us forever. But for now, let's die with dirty faith. We're gonna now respond with a song um, and I'm gonna need a towel. And I wanna encourage you with this. We're gonna sing a song called So Will I. And um, I'm gonna invite you to actually sit during this song and to take in what the message of this song actually is. And listen, I get that it might be a moment, especially when it's gearing up that you wanna stand and if that's how you need to respond to show God this is the life of faith that I will lead, then you stand. But I'm also gonna encourage you because I know there comes that time where everybody starts standing and then you feel awkward. You're like, well, I guess I'll stand because everyone else is standing. But I'm telling you, only stand if it's an act of surrender. Only stand if it's because you are showing God so will I, mark me, Lord, with dirty faith. 2020 into 2021, circumstances may not change, y'all, but we can. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that this isn't a message about proving anything because Jesus already proved everything. I thank you this isn't a message about perfection. You do not need perfection, you need submission. I thank you that right now fires are being lit in hearts to go and to live like this. God, mark me first. Help me, Holy Spirit. Fill us now. Give clarity. Oh, may this Sunday mark us, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. Amen.